up, y'all? It's your girl, Aubrey Sion. And it's me, your boy, Kyle A. Green. And welcome to Hashtag Father Daughter Goes the Podcast, where it's more than just a cute little hashtag. It's a mindset. It's a culture. It's a responsibility. It's, it's a, a way, way of life. life. Where we share through lived experiences on how we became Hashtag Father Daughter Goals. It'll be real, raw, uncut, and most definitely relatable. So make sure you lean in, listen up, and enjoy the show. Let go. So what's up, y'all, man? It's me, um, and I am super excited to be here on Hashtag Father Daughter Goals, the episode. And this is episode one, man. So, Bree, how you feeling? I feel great. I'm super excited to see where this podcast will take us. So let's just jump right in. So um, if I had to say, right, like I was a teenage father. Um, I had you when I was 16 in the 10th grade. That's crazy, right? It's very crazy. You're um, fast. I was being fast. <laughs> well, I was kind of being fast, um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you here, uh, so that's all that counts. So if we just jump right into it, man, um, let me just ask you a question first. So what does it feel like being born to teenage parents? Like, you ever thought about that? Actually, I've never really thought about that. Um, you know, it's just, you know, whatever cards you dealt, you kind of just roll with it. So I don't ever really think I thought about being born to teenage parents. Um, so I, I can't say, like, I remember when your mom came up to me, right? And she was like, Kyle, um, I'm pregnant. I was so scared. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I thought, like, you know, I thought my grandmother, I thought I was going to really let her down. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother was my everything. My grandmother really was my why, like, why I went so hard. In football, I mean, I know you hear that all the time when I speak, but why I went so hard in football, basketball, in the classroom, in the community, is because I never wanted to let my grandmother down. And I felt like I had let her down in that moment. So when your mom came to me and said that she was pregnant, man, the first thing that I thought about, the first person that I thought about was, oh my gosh, I am going to let this woman um, down. And she kind of told me, she said, Kyle, she used to be like, Kyle, you better, you better slow down. You better come. Like she, she kind of knew, but she didn't know oh, what so was. Oh, so she really... gave you a warning. I never knew that. I mean, grandmas know. Like you trying to act like. Oh, okay. I mean, I never heard that part of the story of her telling you, like, hey, Kyle, you might want to watch I, yourself. I mean, she kind of had a suspicion something okay. was going on. Okay. Um, grandmas know, bro. Like grandmas, she was born in 1918. Dude. She wasn't no young chicken. She knew kind of what was going on, but um. I just knew when I had to tell her, man, I knew when the look in her eyes, like what it was going to do to her. But luckily enough, man, my grandmother was such an amazing woman that she didn't even like scold me for it. Like she didn't really like punish me for it. it and it was almost as if she knew if she would have scolded me or if she would have really chastised me, what route I might have t- taken. Because mm-hmm. I'm 16 in the 10th grade. Typically when you're 16 in the 10th grade, you can go one of two ways. You can go to the streets or you can say, yo, I'm going to take the road that's less traveled. Right. So as a result, um, I decided that I was going to take uh, the road less traveled. Um, and that has all made the difference today. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Definitely. So uh, I am super, super, super excited uh, that like I joined fatherhood. And even though I joined it early, man, I love nothing more um, than to be a father. So my next question, for most people that don't know, 
like you grew up in foster care. Something happened with your mom. Um, your mom was in uh, a foster care. Right. Um, she did something. Something happened. The state took you away, placed you in a foster care family in Aiken, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I think, when you were around the age of three. Yep. What did that feel like? What was what was that experience like being around people that might have not been your, your blood family? Or when you were three, did you even understand it? Or did you know what was going on? Of course, I didn't understand it. You know, at that age, you don't really understand what's going on. I mean, I feel like just... As I got older, you know, you kind of realize like, hey, these people don't necessarily look like me. They don't really talk like me. Like that was a foster care was a very traumatic experience for me. You know, I dealt with, you know, verbal and physical, you know, abuse. And it was just, you know, caused me to act out in school, which then went back into the home and caused me to get abused. Not them realizing like, hey, this is a a cry for help, you know, a, a child crying for love and affection so it's just like when you're not getting that in the home you know it's built up anger and frustration so yeah that trans hold on pause 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 so when i got you and we i know we fast one <laughs> but when i got you was that why you were so freaking off the chain oh yeah i was still rough around the edges because that was that was already embedded in me like that was ultimately at that time who i was i didn't know any different so i looked at you like okay you may be my father but who's to say that you gonna treat me any better than what these people have done to me so of course by nature that was still the same treatment you were getting hold on hold on hold on on. pause do you remember the first time we saw each other i do remember yes (laughs) the motel yes i definitely do remember that i remember thinking like wow you're light-skinned because i remember we used to call me when i was in foster care and i don't know why i thought you were like a brown skin dark skin man and i see you and i'm like Oh, he's light-skinned. Okay, that's different. But yeah, I definitely remember that day, yeah. That was in Charleston, right? Yeah, we were in Charleston. Because I think um, the family that you were living with, uh, they were in the church. So that might have was like a church event or something? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I can remember like seeing you. And I, I was just thinking, because to, to put some preference on it, um, I remember, because I was at Benedict College. Like I graduated high school. I went off to college. I remember being in uh, Benedict. I re- reached out to the family. Um, that you were living with and I was like can I send you some books and do stuff with you and start talk start talking to you like yeah. opening up that um lines of communication and and pause man shout out to Charmaine Charmaine was the yeah. person who told me Kyle you need to get your daughter shout out to my dudes man. um and when she told me that the the ball just started started rolling and I remember calling you trying to send books and doing all that type stuff even though I didn't physically have you, right? I still wanted to have some type of presence. So when I first saw you, it was like such a surreal Mm -hmm. moment. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. She looked like me. She looked just like me. With that high water shirt on. (laughs) First of all, what you're not going to do, you're going to chill in the clothes, man. We were poor. We didn't have no money. Yo. You're going to chill in the clothes. Yo, Brie had on a high water red shirt. First of all. Some like velvet black pants. What is that? Velvet? (laughs) And she had the two biggest two front teeth. First of all, you too much. All right. We go we go hop off me. Thank you. It was it was so dope, man. I, I just remember seeing you and I just was overcome with joy, like on the inside. I don't even know if I can remember if I remember crying or whatever, but I just remember um seeing you and just thinking, like, wow, like that's me right there. Okay, so let me ask you this. So I know you talked about how, you know, you said when my mom told you that she was pregnant, like you were scared and you were fearful in that moment. So upon seeing me and knowing like, 
wow, like, this is really her. Like, I'm really about to have custody of this child. Was there that same fear there? Nah, nah. I was I was pretty much groaning. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about it, I'm in college. I might have been a junior. I think that's really when I started it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, started reaching out. So, I'm a junior. I might have saw you. Because it wasn't right after that. Like, we kind of built the... Uh, rapport yeah. um, online talking um and so once I saw you it wasn't a fear it was more so like a relief mm. it was like yo she been with another family for the last two and a half three years um like like that's mine like I need to get her and I need to like do right by her wow. um yeah man so yeah, it was like a, a like a, a weight because I had a weight on my shoulder because I felt like I wasn't carrying my weight. Right. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was um, allowing somebody else to raise like my child. Right. Like even though I made a mistake. Right. Mm-hmm. And I never look at you as a mistake, but like I made a mistake and I had a child um, and I had to change my mindset to think that I'm not a mistake just because I made a mistake. Right. And so for anybody else that might be out there listening, whether you might be a teenage parent, maybe you might be a, a father or a mother um, who had a child out of wedlock or had one unexpectedly, like just because you might have made a mistake in that situation, it doesn't qualify you as being a mistake. And I think once I shifted my mindset on that, it really just made me think like, Kyle, you have to do everything right by her. And I began that process. And then when I saw you in Charleston, I just knew from that moment I had to get you. Because once I left Charleston, I left without you. Mm. And that hurt. Wow. I think that's one of the most powerful things that you've ever incorporated in your speech is just because you make a mistake, that doesn't mean that you're a mistake. That's one of the most powerful things I think you've ever put in your, like I love every time you say that to somebody because people people really think that like I made a mistake. Dang, I keep making several mistakes. So wow, my life is a mistake when that's not the case at all. Like in life, that's the reality of it. You're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. But how you continue on and how you move on from that and how you get yourself up, how you say and brush your shoulders off and press on to fight another day, like that's what counts each time. That's so dope, bro. Like sometimes when I be speaking, I be wondering if you and KJ like really be hearing my messages. Of course. Um, but I guess y'all probably hear it so many times. So much. Um, but anyway, so we leave Charleston. Mm-hmm. First time meeting each other. Right. Um, you go back to Aiken. Mm-hmm. I go back to Columbia. What was your thoughts after seeing me for the first time? Like, th- th- like, did you go back thinking like, like, wow, that, that man is really my dad or uh, like, like, do you remember like how you felt? I feel like, honestly, I don't even entirely remember how I may have felt like a lot of that time is such a blur, blur yeah. because, you know, when you deal with a lot of trauma, it causes you to like suffer, you know, from not necessarily memory loss, but a lot of stuff you kind of forget. So I can't even exactly tell you how I may have felt or what I may have thought after the fact. It was just like, a, OK, there he was and there he went. So that's probably what I thought. Yeah. So you probably thought, oh, I'm not going to see him again. Probably not. No. All right. So fast forward mm-hmm. uh, from that moment, maybe like. It might have been a year or two. I petition the courts. Mm-hmm. I get appointed a guardian ad litem. I get a lawyer. I do everything to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, we go to the courthouse. The judge appoints me 
um, parenthood or whatever it was called because I never lost my parental rights, mm-hmm. um, you know, when the state took you. Um, so I get full custody of you. And that very day, <laughs> that very day, like you come, like you come with me. What what did that feel like? Because if you think about it, you didn't bring no toys. You didn't bring no books. Like you didn't bring a book bag. Like it seemed like you didn't even have a whole lot of anything, if I can remember. Not at all. It was basically just a, a, a start over, a here we go again, or okay, what will this now be? Like, I feel like, I, I really don't know. Like, it's hard to remember a lot of that part. I just can remember, like, walking to the house and like, whoa, this is big. Like, what? Like, we had a small tiny two bedroom house one bathroom what five or six people living in there like to a three four like I was like this is different so it was definitely it definitely took me an adjustment getting used to because I was a I was afraid of the dark like I never had a room to myself I never had a bed to myself so that was new to me so I was like always sleeping with the cover over my head because I wasn't used to really always being in a space that to have of my own. So that was different for me. Right. And to let people know, man, um, we didn't become hashtag father daughter goals at first. Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> this has been years of work and built in. Yes. And, and we are definitely going to get into that again. This is the first episode. This is more like the introduction. Just touching to, the surface. Yeah, yeah. Just just understanding who we are. Like yeah. how it how it started. Mm-hmm. How it was going. Um so this is how it started. So you come, we in two oh eight World Drive <laughs> in Hopkins, South Carolina. Yes. In a cul sac. Yep. Um so you have your own room. Mm-hmm. Um you now with a family that loves you but you don't know that they love you. What was it like in that adjustment? It was hard because really three years you can say is not a long time, but when you've dealt with trauma, three years can feel like 30 years. So it was like, this is all I know. So it was like to come in an environment where it's not hostility every you know corner you turn, that was different. Like, I'm like, I'm waiting for somebody to pull out the belt. I'm waiting for somebody to hem me up. Like, I'm almost kind of walking on eggshells and these people ain't even like that for real. So it was, it was, it took a while for me to like let my guard down and really truly be Aubrey Sion Green. All right. So let me ask you this. Okay. So while you were going through what you were going through mm-hmm. um, in Aiken while being in foster care, yep. Who was the person or the thing that kind of kept you together or kept you, um, I won't say sane, but kind of just was like your rock, sort of say? <laughs> My next door neighbor, Elizabeth. I will never forget that girl. She had ginger hair with ginger freckles to match. And she was literally my guardian angel. Like she is what... I could say kept me going because you know she would come over out we go outside and play every day and it was just her kind spirit and her like every her aura just kept me lifted because everything else was just 
chaotic. And to say like, she was a white girl. I do want to put that out there. Like she was a white girl. Yeah. So, so her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yes. So let's let the, the, the people know, man. So we went back to the, the, the home <laughs> that you grew up in we and we went to go look for Elizabeth, but we couldn't find her, unfortunately. Um, but going back when I took you there, cause I'm getting, I'm getting chills just thinking about <laughs> it. Uh, what did it feel like seeing that home that you grew up in? Well, not grew up in, but that you were in foster care in for like those two and a half, three years. It was a surreal moment. You know, honestly, when we talked about going to look for it in my heart, I really felt like there was a possibility that we weren't going to find it. So it was like to actually see it and to actually go back to that place. And then it was just an instant reflection of my life and how much I've grown since then and the grace that God has had for me over the years and the gratitude that I have is it was just such a surreal moment like I broke down you said you knew I like I broke down and the crazy part is in the moment I didn't break down but once I looked at those pictures that you took like I broke like I fell apart like once we had left we was at a gas station I fell apart but it was like yeah, man, that was that moment was everything. Okay, all right. So we go, we go see um, the home when you were in foster care. We can't find Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, so you you with us now. Mm-hmm. Um, you in school? You acting the hell out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> buck wild, getting in trouble. Writing, all right. Writing notes to boys about. All right. Yeah. Slow down. <laughs> Not too much. Oh, we okay. said we're going to be real raw, you're right, uncut. You're right, you're right, you're right, so you're right. writing all these explicit okay. notes um, about, do you want to be my boyfriend or girlfriend? And I'm not even going to ask the other questions. Yeah, let's leave that out. Uh, so so what, what changed when you said, yo, I can't be acting like this? Like, why am I acting like this? What what was the moment or or like why why you felt you needed to change then? Because you changed you change maybe six months to a year after you had moved in with us. Like, what, what changed? Love. Love? Yeah. You know, when you've dealt with trauma, and I'm going to keep saying it, when you've dealt with trauma and you've come into a place where you have people who genuinely love you and showing you love and don't want nothing from it and just being genuine there in the in their intentions and it's just like Brie you don't have like we're not gonna hurt you like we're going to do right by you so it was like at some point in time I want to say around sixth grade because you know it's not gonna happen overnight like when you dealt with you know any kind of abuse it takes time for someone to finally put that wall down and be able to let someone in and be able to trust someone so it had just gotten to a point where the light bulb went off and I was like okay I don't have to be like this anymore like these people love me so I'm going to in return love them back that's so beautiful that that is so beautiful you simply said love love conquers all um and to be honest in our book Hashtag father daughter goals, and we're gonna really get into the book, man. We might get into every journey. We call them journeys, we don't call them chapters. Journeys take you to a destination, and as you go through every journey, we wanna help get you there. Yeah. And we both wrote it. Oh, yeah. Like it's 50 50. It's not that because I have a bigger platform, and because I wrote my first book that I wrote 
90% of this book, you only wrote 10. It's literally 50-50. Yep. But um, in the first journey, um, it's, it's entitled Culture. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe that I wanted to build a culture based on love yeah. when it came to being like a father. Yeah. Um, because I knew my grandmother, we grew up poor. Mm-hmm. We didn't, I remember having to share clothes with Tamir, Mimi. <laughs> um, she would wear clothes, an uh, outfit on a Monday. I would wear it on a Wednesday and hope right. nobody kind of knew what was going on. Right. So we grew up poor. Um, but the one thing that we had a whole lot of, the one thing um, that was endless, the one thing that we we had more than anything um, was love. And that's something that was really big to grandma, man. She loved all of her kids. She loved all of her grandkids. And she loved them in a way where she didn't make one feel like she loved the other more. Right. You know how sometimes you see parents who have a favorite child. Oh, yeah. My grandmother, man, she made every... Every child, every grandchild feel like they were her favorite. Like I've had cousins. You ask, you asked Nika. She says she's the favorite. Right. You ask Sean. She right. says she's the favorite. You ask me. I mean, oh, they yeah. call me. They call me Jesus, Jesus Junior. Oh yeah. Um, I think everybody kind of knew that I might have been the favorite, but my grandmother didn't. T- she never told him that. Oh, yeah. Um, she might have just treated me just a tad bit different. <laughs> uh, but the one thing that that lady gave me was was love, man, and and. I knew when I became a father and I knew like I I wanted to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first journey, it's called culture. And it's really like, what's your beliefs? What's your system? What do you stand on? What do you believe in? And I believe that love conquers all. So I wanted to make sure I gave you a home before KJ came along. Yes. Because at first, um, it was no KJ. Yeah. Um, and I wanted, uh, I wanted to be built on love. Um, so what does, what does like love from a father look like? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, always lending and listening ear. I know sometimes that can be hard (laughs) as a parent to just be able to hear your child out. But I think if you you set that boundary between, okay, parent, but I'm still open enough to where you can almost talk to me as if I'm a friend. Cause I feel like that's where the disconnect happens sometimes. That's how parents get left out and lost a lot of the times when that uh, barrier of communication becomes a problem. But yeah, you know, I feel like love as a father is just, being there like if anything like I don't even need the materialistic stuff just your presence and you know you instilling me all the things that you have instilled in me over the years and showing me and raising me up in a way that I should go I feel like that is what love looks like as a father wow that's beautiful they say they say fathers are closer to their daughters and sons are closer to their moms oh, yeah. and I can look at it just with um you know KJ and you like KJ absolutely loves his mom oh, I don't yeah. care how much <laughs> of a smarty pants that he can be um you know I ain't saying he loves his mom more than he loved me but oh, yeah. I know the hierarchical system and how that goes <laughs> yeah uh but but I think with they say they say 
girls pick up girls look for in guys they look for characteristic traits in a man that reflects their father yeah and they say boys pick up the characteristics in the character of their dad um so hopefully whenever that time comes when you will leave me (laughs) because you will leave me um hopefully you find someone who reflects my character and how i treat you um because i think that that's critically important um when you're when you go off to be with somebody else um i've never laid my hands on you in a in a way that was me trying to abuse you right Right. like you know domestic violence um situations and rest in peace to ivy man um that was my cousin that was raised like my sister she was murdered by her boyfriend and i will forever remember her legacy her laugh her wittiness her personality um her class her intelligence um but she lost her life and I'm not sure if it was in the name of love. Um, but yeah, man. So hopefully when that day comes, man, you'll find somebody who loved you. It, it, I can't say like me because a father love and a relationship love is different, mm-hmm. but who has like those same qualities, yeah. like being respectful, right. um, always dating you. You know, right. we still go out to like right. football games. We go out to eat. Right. Um, those things are important. I feel when you are striving to become hashtag father daughter goals, like doing the things that's important to you, being not missing a basketball game, not missing when you were awarded different events um, or, or awards at school. I think that that's critically important when you strive to become hashtag father daughter goals. And that's just something small right now that I'm sharing. What is something that's important to you from a daughter's perspective? That, that that you think daughters should like strive to do when they if they want to become hashtag father daughter goals um i would just say you have to have an open mind like there's there's gonna be those hardships and there's gonna be those times where you feel like you know your dad may be doing too much maybe a little overbearing and there and that may be the case sometimes but just know ultimately at the end of the day um it's for your best interest. Like nothing you have ever told me or have, you know, said to me or done for me, you know, was ill intentions. Like everything you've ever done, said, breathe, that boy, I'm telling you. And I'm like, daddy, no way. And then of course he ended up being that. So I feel like it's, it's having that open mind to know that yes, dad is gonna drive you crazy sometimes. And he is going to push some buttons that's really probably gonna get you worked up. Cause I'm telling you, nobody pushes your buttons like somebody that really knows you. And you really know me and you know those buttons that you love to push. But I feel like just still keeping that open mind at the end of the day because you know that your father only wants the best for you yeah that's good so as we begin to like close this segment as we begin to to just introduce hashtag father daughter goes the podcast to the world um what is something that you can give the person that's listening the daughter and the father because i want this podcast to be where people can hear it from both sides, but but where we can add advice that can help both the daughter and the father. Like I can give advice for fathers, right? Mm -hmm. But I can also give advice to daughters. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can give advice to fathers 
and you can give advice to other um, you know, women, young girls who might be listening, that's hashtag father daughter goals, or maybe aspiring to become hashtag father daughter goals. So if you can share just one thing, whether it's to a father or whether it's to another daughter, what can they do today? Um, right now, if, if they aspire to one day become hashtag father daughter goals, I would say fathers, um, just, just be there for your daughters. And when I say be there, as much as she will let you because depending on her age if you're dealing with the older daughter i know sometimes it can kind of be harder to get her to open up but i feel like just constantly showing your presence and showing that you are interested and wanting to know what she has going on in her world and letting her know that you will always be there you know no matter what the circumstance may be i feel like that's so important for her to know that she can come to you no matter what because there's a lot of stuff that I have come to you about, like real uncut, unro- like daddy, uh, I'm dealing with, like, what do I do? Like we have, you have given me that space to be able to come to you, which is so important because if your daughter's not coming to you, she's going to somebody else and you don't want that. You want it to be in the house so you can address it so that way you can guide her in the, in the right direction versus somebody else on the outside potentially trying to guide her, which is what she doesn't need. Right. And what I will say just to daughter, since you address the fathers, I'll say um, to daughters, don't be afraid to have those tough conversations with mm-hmm. your dad. Um, even when they might not be the most popular, yeah. even when they might hurt, um, we want to be a part of the process because the we don't want we don't ever want to see you hurt. Oh yeah. As as a dad man, the worst thing that we can do is to see our baby girl like crying or to see that somebody broke her heart or to see even a friend betrayed her. Mm-hmm. Or to see anything like that, like that pain, like if I could take the pain away that anything that you go through, I would always bury that, carry that pain Um, just because I don't want you to have to go through it. And that's what KJ, too. Um, But I think daughters, don't be afraid to have tough conversations um, with your father, even when you think that he might be disappointed in you, um, because he'll be the person that can give you the most advice through his lived experiences. Um, The reason why I'm able to give you so much advice about boys is because I was a boy that played a whole lot of girls, that manipulated them, that, that, that used them for what I can get out of them. And once I got what I wanted, and y'all know what I'm talking about, um, sex. Um, All right. I, I'm real raw and uncut, yeah, right? okay. Once I got what I ultimately wanted, um, I was done with them. And I... And I knew how much that hurt them then, right? But I wasn't thinking about that. Um, and so I just want to make sure that what I did um, doesn't ever happen to you. Like, being- So let me ask you a quick question in that, now that you say that. So, you know, you say, you know, you played these girls and you manipulated them and you used them for this and that. So amongst while you were raising me and you seeing me get older, you know, definitely in high school and, you know, dealing with certain situations, do you feel like in a sense, 
raising me has changed your perception or the way or that lifestyle that you used to live in any way at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, I, I, like it's no longer cool to like try to take advantage. And plus, I'm older now. Right. Um, so when I was like 15, 16 in high school, college, it was all about like finding the next one. Um, and you know, like having you, and I had you early, it didn't really change like that mindset then. Cause it was still the game. Like that's what, that's what people do. That's what guys still do now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she laughed like <laughs> I experienced that. Yeah. I experienced that a whole lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like becoming a dad, bro, like it changes your mindset. I think I posted something on Instagram the other day in my stories about, how kids change fathers' mindsets. Uh, like I forgot what exactly what it was. A study that was um, that was done. But yeah, you definitely changed my mindset on. I no longer knowingly like hurting people, especially women. I, I don't care because if somebody hurts you, my nine and a half yeah. is going into their. <laughs> Oh, is the green going to be ready to go? Yeah. That's funny. Um, so anyway, man, I'm super excited about this podcast. This is our first episode. How you feel? I feel great. Like, I'm already sensing that we about to skyrocket. Skyrocket? Yeah. All right. So let's do our handshake before we get out here. Ow, 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 ow. Oh, you messing it up. Booba Luba. No. That's her nickname that up. I gave her. No. Don't say that ever again. That's Booba Luba, y'all. Anyway, man, it's your boy Kyle A. Green, and I'm up out of this piece. And it's your girl, Aubrey Sion, and that's a wrap. Lego. Thank y'all so much for tuning in and hanging out with us today on hashtag Father Daughter Goals, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and was able to take something meaningful away in your Father Daughter Goals journey. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and tune in on your favorite listening podcast channel. Until next time, we We out!